Greetings to you all. I will say this is good to be home. I often say that uh, if I was not a pastor in this city and if I had an opportunity to be a part of a church, this would where I would join. And to me, it's not about necessarily the people that are here. It's about the anointing. This is one of the most blessed and anointed places that I stepped in. And I'm, I visit many churches, not only in the office of president and CEO of Steel Bridge Ministries, but just as a person. And I will say this to you who are here today. You are so blessed and so highly favored of God. You are a beacon that God has set up in this city. And there's so much more that is to come out of you. And I anxiously watch in expectation of what that will be. God bless each and every one of you. To my friends that are here, it's good to be here with you today. You guys always make me feel at home. And I just want to share with you a little bit from the Word of God today. Now, there's the clock. They told me to look for it. I know they love me. That's okay. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I just want to encourage you today. You're very special to God. You're special to the city of Albuquerque, and that's, that's no doubt. I want to talk today about open eyes, but in this case, not just eyes, but spiritual eyes. There are certain things in the world that, uh, when it comes to the world of blindness, there's physical blindness, but there's also a spiritual blindness. And it's something that I want to, if a few minutes, make you the people of God who are spiritual beings, your spirit, soul, and body. We've learned that and we come to the knowledge of Christ and have joined with him. I remember the many times that I thought I was a body, soul, and a spirit, but the revelation finally got to me that I'm spirit, soul, and body. And so I want to speak to you as spirit beings today and encourage you in the area of spiritual visibility, eyes of spirituality, understanding what it means to live in a world that is natural and carnal and wicked, but understand that in that there's another world that's invisible to the natural eye, but certainly available to the people of God, those who have come in union with Christ Jesus. I want to read to you a story today coming from the book of 2 Kings. You can join me now, 2 Kings chapter 8, chapter 6 rather. Beginning at verse 8, and there's a story of Elijah the prophet, and the scripture reads as thus, once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, at such and such place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent forth word to the king of Israel, beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, none, my lord, but Elijah, 
the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the men of God rose early in the morning and he went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, at last, my master, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots and of fire all around Elijah. And when the Syrians came down against Elijah, he prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So that So the Lord struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elijah. And Elijah said to them, I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he will lead them, and he led them rather to Samaria. And as soon as he entered Samaria, Elijah said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened the eyes and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go back to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their masters. And the Syrians did not come again on raids in the land of Israel. Today what I would like to do is to gather with you is to take a look at and considering the impact, if you will, of consistent prayer, a consistent prayer life, that produces spiritual eyes. And I'd like for us to do that together today. A consistent prayer life that produces spiritual eyes, that we can see that which is invisible and understand better the plans, the purpose of God, and even the ways of the enemy. I pray here that every believer recognizes that our world, as a matter of fact, is in a state of crisis. Our governments, churches, everything is in a mess, if you will. And it's as though the mess is getting worse and worse. And if you're like me, you wake up in the morning and you wonder, where is it all going to end? When is God going to begin to make some change? What's going on? Well, I'm thinking about something here about Elijah. He says, the Bible says he was surrounded by a foreign army that intended to take him captive. His servant went out one morning stepped outside the door, looked around, and they saw a horde of soldiers, chariots, surrounding the the whole city of Dothan. 
And I would imagine he was not surmised, he did not surmise that they were coming to play a social call. So he got excited and panicked and ran back into the house and spoke with the prophet Elijah. And he said to Elijah, at last, my master, what are we going to do? And I sometimes wonder, not what are we going to do as your people? The world we're living in is unraveling. Immorality, injustices, man's humanity to man and humanity to man is getting worse. It's like the dark is getting darker. At last, Master, what shall we do? What should be our take on what's going on? Probably none of us has ever had that experience of walking out the door in the morning and being confronted with that, but I'm sure we all know what it's like to be suddenly confronted with life-threatening problems that are beyond our control. And we can all relate to the servant's panic in this particular crisis. Now, as I look at this particular event, it's a little strange to me that Elijah, I look at the two responses to the two men. Elijah remained cool and calm and collected. He didn't get excited about what he saw, what the servant saw. The panic was in the servant who lacked the visibility, who lacked the ability to see what Elijah saw. Sometimes what you see makes all the difference. He prayed when Elijah said, don't be afraid. He prayed, God, open my servant's eyes that he may see what I see. Isn't that an awesome prayer? Are there people around you, you that have vision, understanding of spiritual things, that you wish people around you were able to see what you see in the spirit realm that's invisible to the natural eye? That if they could just see what you see, if they knew what you knew about what you saw, it would change their whole perspective on life. I know there's some of you here that are like that, but there are many of who are not, who have not yet matured into where you have the ability to see spiritual things into the spirit realm and understand or discern spiritual realities because they're real. You may not understand them, you may not see them, but they are definitely real. Spiritual realities are real, and Jesus teaches that all through the Bible. So Elijah, he just strode outside the house like he would normally would do it and calmly asked God just a couple of words of prayer. He says, would you just strike him blind for me? After this, after he had the young man's eyes to be opened, he could see what he saw. Because what the young man saw, he saw something was so much greater. He saw, first of all, he saw the metal chariots and the physical horses. And, but when his eyes were truly open, he saw that what Elijah saw was just so much more magnificent it was chariots of fire, many numbers, sometimes many exponentially greater numbers than what they were perceived in the natural. And that's our position in God, is in our union with Christ. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? There's no weapon formed against us that will prosper. But this story has two main events that I want to talk a little bit about here. In the all-sufficiency of God to meet our crisis, we're approaching, we're in crisis, and I believe we're going to see more and more crisis. 
As the world continues the path that is going, more and more crises are going to occur on this, in our, during our time. So the sufficiency, the all-sufficiency of God, the all-sufficiency of God is what God wants us to understand. Our sufficiency is not in what we see, but it's in who we believe, who our faith is in. And when we spend time with him in communion and fellowship, that will allow us to see. He will share with us the things that he's doing. I wake up all the time in the morning, I realize I don't even listen to the news. I, I, I try not to. They tell me, you need to understand what's going on. But I can find that in the Bible, or I can let the Holy Spirit tell me what's going on. Really, I do. But I listen, and all I hear is negativity. It, all it's doing is exhorting the kingdom of darkness, the frailty of men. There's no mention of what God is doing, where the hand of God is moving, where the miracles of God are taking place. Now, you ought to ask yourself, if I listen to this this much and I'm not getting the other part of things, where am I going to be in a short time? I'm going to be sucked into what I'm hearing. I'm going to be reprogrammed in what I'm hearing. And the Bible tells us we're in the world, but not of this world. There's a different dynamic when it comes to us as believers. We're supposed to be leading and so be hearing what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us. We're supposed to be understanding that God has a plan for us that supersedes what we're seeing in our natural eyes, with our natural eyes. And since God is our all-sufficient resource, believers should pray and not panic. I remember when this 911 took place, how, freak, how quickly people found their way to church. That was a crisis. We realized we didn't have the control that we thought we had. Someone had invaded American territory and had actually caused this, wreaked this kind of damage, and it shocked a lot of people. And you saw how quickly the church filled, but by the same token, you saw how quickly they emptied. We're in that crisis. A little bit more subtle, but far, far more reaching into the depths of despair when we see what's going on in the world in which we live in. Our God is omniscient. First thing we want to understand, he knows all things. He's all sufficiency, but he knows all things. There's nothing that he does not know. Hebrews 4 and 13 tells us that God understands every human heart, every human emotion. He made us, he created us, he knows what's going on. Even our the secret things, let alone the deeds and the behavior that we display when no one's watching or when they are watching. God said, I even know the secrets that you have not shared with anybody. It's all here. So he's all-knowing God. I find it interesting that the Armenian king, the Syrian king, thought that he could send troops to capture God's prophet, even though we learned that every time that he did set a plan in motion, God told the prophet. Why wouldn't God tell the prophet he's coming to get you? But again, we see the stupidity of the world, the ignorance of the world, he's still the same God. And he could have given Elijah instruction, go hide yourself, but he didn't do that. I believe that's because God had another plan for this situation. God had another plan. Elijah was not to hide, he was to confront them. Because I believe God had something he wanted to show them, the Armenian king, the Syrian king, as well as the king of Israel. 
Ben-Hadad. It was there for all of them to learn. And by the way, it took them 2,500 years to bugaroon, whereas God did this here with Ben-Hadad, I mean with the, the, the Armenian king, just in this moment, and exposed what was going behind his door, the door. So it just lets us know that God is smarter than the CIA. That's all. They finally learned how to bug a room. Well, God's been doing that a long time. So I find it interesting that that's happening. Our God knows everything. We would be foolish to think that we can hide anything from him. He knows all of our secrets. Even before we deal with them, he knows what we're dealing with. He knows the things that brings and promotes fear in your heart as his children. He knows the things that paralyze you in your commitment to him. He knows the things that you're harboring that are part of your selfishness. None of these things are hidden from him. He sees it. He knows it all. He knows it all. Second point I want to bring about, to bring about is our God is omnipotence. He not only knows it all, but he is powerful enough to deal with it. He can solve whatever problem you have. And all I'm doing today is pointing you out to the all-sufficiency of your Savior, Jesus Christ. That you don't become despaired or despondent in what you're dealing with. That you keep your eyes upon the Lord. That you learn the, the, the discipline of prayer. He wants you to come to him in prayer. He wants you to ask him. He wants you to talk to him about what's going on. God, where are you in my life? That's a song that I like to sing and, and by Bishop Martin. He says, Lord, whatever you're doing in this hour... Don't do it without me. I want that kind of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you got going on in the world this day and hour, I want to be so close to you that I want to experience it. I don't want to hear about something happening. I want to be a part of it. Paul said like this, I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering and in the power of his resurrection. That's when you're getting real with God. Do you want to know him like that? He wants you to know him like that, but it's going to take you, your desire, your seeking him, your wanting him, your disciplining yourself. And he will certainly be glad to share with you. God is omnipotent. There's no problem too big for him or not too small. That was a story told about a little, a little woman who came to the well-known Bible teacher, G. Campbell Morgan, and she asked him, she says, Dr. Morgan, do you think we should pray about little things or pray about big things as well? Or pray about big things or just little things? She reversed it. So the, the renowned Bible teacher, he just positioned himself and he says, my dear sister, he said, Madam, can you think of anything in your life that is big, that is big to God? That's something we want to think about. Is there anything in our lives that we think that is big in God's eyes? Is there anything that we can consider that's big, that possibly God can't do this? And I probably need to think about getting some help somewhere. He can't do this for me. And I think it's one of the fallacies of Christianity today is that we're not teaching people, we're not directing people, and we're really disciplining them, getting them to help them develop a discipline in the all-sufficiency of Christ. 
Christ is enough. He's all that I need. He's given us everything we need to stay anchored, to stay focused, to stay strong, to stay victorious, to stay a blessing to others. Every one of us in here have been blessed in the position to be a blessing to someone else. That's the purpose of blessings. Not to heap upon ourselves, but to be a blessing to someone else. And he, by his divine grace, providence, has done that in every single one of you all's lives today. We may not all be able to be a blessing to the same degree, but we all can be a blessing. We've all been, have been blessed to be a blessing. That's the will of God. The third point about our God, not only is he omnipotent and, 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 and omniscient, he's also sovereign. He's sovereign. And he protects his own according to his will. He protects his own according to his will. If we belong to God, we can trust him to protect us until the moment he calls us home to be with him. And that's kind of the vision we've got to see as we journey into this, these dark days of what we're experiencing in our own country. As we see God being the anti-spirit that is against everything that God represents, trying to re redo everything. The, the, the existence of God is, is tormenting and is just calling the enemies to be so anti-God right now. But by the same token, I see that it also caused fear among God's people. And they refused to be strong in what God called them to be. So we pray in that area as well. The Bible says in Psalms 37, Psalms 91, he said, I will give my angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways and everything you're doing. You are not alone. God has positioned his angels. He have angels that are, have been assigned to help you carry out your daily tasks, your daily activities, especially when you come before him and honor him by acknowledging him in what you're trying to do. He said he would give his angels charge concerning you and they would guard all your ways. That's his love for us. The Lord is stronger than the most powerful enemy that we can ever encounter. He protects us even when we aren't even aware of it. You imagine what the servant was like when he laid down that night. Had no thought of the army being coming by night and surrounding the place. But as soon as he woke up that morning, he saw something different. But the reality was God was there all the time. Elijah knew it. Elijah saw it. The servant just wasn't privy to it. He still lacked eyes to see. And so fear, panic set in. So you said, but still, you may be thinking, that's a great way to look at it, Pastor. But when it all works out as, re as neatly as it did with Elijah, but what about when God's people go through horrible trials and even death? Some godly people suffer for years or die through disease or persecution. Where is God's protection then? The Lord provides a clue in the scripture, a minor detail on the text that we might easily miss. I want to bring to your attention the fact that it was Elijah, where Elijah was when he was surrounded. He was in a place called Dothan. It seems like the more more than a coincidence, that this town is mentioned only one other time in the Bible, Dothan. 
And it was in the town where Joseph found his brothers when his father sent him to find out how they were doing. He had been able to locate them, and he was wondering. He, hadn't, he hadn't, had not been able to locate them, and he was wondering where they were. And someone told him that they went over to Dothan. And so we went to Dothan. When he arrived there, his brothers threw him into the pit and set and prepared a meal to eat while they determined how they were going to kill him. And so God sent a caravan, and as the caravan came by, the brothers had a change of mind, and they decided to sell their brother into slavery. This is the same place that Elijah is dealing with this now. But the point I want you to recognize is that after many years as a slave and a prisoner, God finally appointed Joseph over Egypt under Pharaoh. But as he sat in the pit in Dothan, or as he traveled in chains to Egypt, or as he sat in in, an Egyptian dungeon, Joseph never had a vision of chariots or fire. But he was convinced of the sovereignty of God. He was convinced that whatever was happening in his life was by God's divine purpose, for God's divine purpose. I'm not saying that God puts us and and causes sickness and disease upon us, but David, Joshua, Joseph said something to his brother. He says, what you meant for evil, God has turned it to my good. That's the sovereignty of God, beloveds. Nothing you're going through that God can't take it and make it something good for your life. And the Bible says, as much then as Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the like-mindedness. I'm going to suffer as part of being a Christian. We don't like that word, but it's necessary. It's necessary. Even though you and I may never get a vision of God's angels surrounding us, they are there. They are there. The word of God tells us that they're there. Even if you spend years in a dungeon, a sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent God has not abandoned you. No matter where you are today, no matter what your struggles are, he has not abandoned you. You are not alone. He's as close as you will acknowledge him to be and you call upon him. Just call on him. Recognize him. He's there with you. He promised that. Now, how can we not panic when trials come? Prayer is a way to have peace, not panic when Christ has come. Prayer is the way to have peace. I think one of the issues that the church is dealing with today is lack of, of if there's a lack in the church, is a lack of people, God's children, calling on their Savior, calling on their Heavenly Father. Still the most difficult thing to organize, coordinate, is a prayer session. It's just, it just seems to escape us because we live in a lack of understanding the importance of that communion, that relationship with Jesus. And why pray only when we need things? The relationship is intended to bring us closer to Christ on a daily basis. Prayer is our means as well as our weapon to access our all-sufficient God. It is a means and a weapon. Paul wrote in Philippians 4 and 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Don't forget the thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Major trials can hit so suddenly. 
Elijah went to bed, his servant went to bed, and woke up another way. But how vulnerable, how fragile, do we realize how fragile life is for us? Because of this fragileness that we deal with, it makes it's totally foolish to live a life unto yourself and not live it from the standpoint of eternity. Eternity. I think about life being so fragile that I could stand here and just collapse. The building, the roof could fall in on all of us. Plane could hit the building. The point I'm making is life is so uncertain. Life is so uncertain. We don't know where our end is. But we all got an end. And it's from the time that we start and come into the knowledge of Christ, that's to me was the day of my beginning, my new beginning. When I first come into the knowledge that he loved me, he saved me, and my life holds a purpose. There's something inside of me that has been put in me before I came into this world that he wanted me to deposit through my living every day in this world. That has been my, my anchor, that has been my whole purpose, that has been my goal for life is that whatever's in me, and I do like Apostle Paul said, he says, I finished my course. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. That should be every believer's desire because of my relationship with Christ. And he was faithful to his call. He went all the way. Because he did it, he made it possible for me to go all the way. Why wouldn't I go all the way? Because that's what he did for me. So prayer is our means. If we don't want to pray, we probably won't get what we're looking for in God. Prayer also replaces panic with wisdom for dealing with trials. There's an obvious contrast between the panic of, Eli of, uh, of Elijah's servant and the peace that Elijah had, obviously. So I count that difference as being the fact that Elijah's consistent communion with God in prayer. His continual, consistent Time and communion, fellowship, intimacy with God in prayer. That's how he did it. Beloved, I'll tell you, that's how anybody in the Bible, anybody you read in the Bible, they had to go the same way. There must be a willingness, a desire to know whom you've been apprehended by, who desire, desire the more of him. To be willing to, to decrease and he increase in you. There must be a hunger within all of us for us to see this thing through and know that we're pleasing God as we're doing it. The text doesn't just, just directly state it, but obviously it was through prayer that Elijah gained supernatural knowledge of the enemy's plan. His raids, his go to prayer and God just revealed to him, hey, son, the king has got this planned. It was a simple thing. I believe that Elijah knew how God wanted him to deal with this crisis because he had prayed. He had a prayer life. We also need to note that Elijah was taught the discipline of watching and praying. Remember when Elijah, his mentor, said to me, if you want what I want, he asked him, what do you want from me? He said, I want a double portion of your anointing. I want the double anointing that's on your life. He said, if you can keep your eyes on me and you can stay with me and watch and know when I leave, you can have it. But if you miss it, if you miss my going, you will not get it. Plain and simple. 
He had been conduct, he had been conducting his life and learning how to search out spiritual things, observe spiritual things, and how to submit, how to obey, how to do, do the things that, uh, that he needed to do to be able to take the, the man of God's place. But he knew through prayer about this, and as the many other prayers that he prayed, he prayed a lot of other prayers. Now, beloved, God may not grant us miraculous insight and power, as he did here with Elijah. But if we are people of prayer and communion with God through his word, we will have unusual wisdom in how to deal and how to solve our everyday life problems. And when that happens, our lives will be so differently. But there are two warnings we need to take to heart as I go through this end of this message. The time to gain wisdom like this is before calamity and crisis come. The time is now. As we see the evil days drawing nigh, it should be a signal, a red flag to us that are believers to run and get as close to the Lord Jesus as you can. Learn all you can. Work with him. Live for him. Give your life to him. Stay in his word. Trust him. Commune with him on a regular basis. That's the flag that we're seeing, but we're not acknowledging it. He's saying to us, you prepare for war in a time of peace. This is the time. We're not in a peace time, but I assure you things are going to get worse. Just by reading the Bible. Just by the craziness that's going on. Just by the hardness of man's heart. It's obvious. It will get worse. But Jesus told us something in Matthew 24, think it not strange, but now, now when things get worse like this, then they're going to start looking at you. Then what are you going to do with that? How are you going to respond to that? And I'm saying to you today, beloved, this is one of some of the most exciting times to live in the world today. Do you realize that you are here with me and we're living the Bible? We're living it. It's, it's not something we read the other day. In our Sunday school class 10, 20 years ago, it's real. It's right here. It's in our faces. It's in our homes. It's on our jobs. It's in our churches. We are living the Bible. It has come alive to us. And it's coming alive regarding us. Now, each one of us has to be willing to make, a, to make up his mind. What is going to be my position in this great, great thing that's going on? The world is changing. It's not the same. But that's not for us to be afraid. It should be a time for us to get excited about the fact that God is calling his church to rise up in his strength and the power of his Holy Spirit and be a witness. Gather as many souls as we can. The Word of God talks about forbearance. I talked to a lady the other day. She says, Pastor, why don't God do something about what's going on? How long is this going to go on? And I said, sweetheart, it's about forbearance. God is giving people as many as opportunity to get saved. He's given the church opportunity to reach those people, our children, our grandchildren, people that we know that don't know Jesus, that they look like they're so close. What if we could reach them through prayer, through speaking spiritual things into their lives? What if we could make a difference? But if our heart is so wrapped around what we see and we're paralyzed through the fear of what's going on and we stop cold on our steps, we can't go forward, won't go forward, barely get to church on Sunday morning, 
What is that going to say about us? What legacy are we leaving? What legacy are we leaving? Another thing about the power of prayer, it opens the eyes to spiritual reality. Reality in this case is truth. Reality is truth. The Bible says the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the people. And sometimes that means even the people of God because they are willfully blinded. They've been given the opportunity to receive truth, but truth does not interest them in that much. To be a lover of truth is to be a lover of God. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's who I am. I got to love him in all those areas. I got to love him in his way. These are things he requires of me. His truth, who he is, and the life that he gives me, that I receive. That's who he is. Do I love him like that? Am I just kind of standing off and wondering what's going to happen. And I don't want to be one of those. I want to be in the part. I want to be in the mix. Because great is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Prayer opens the eyes of us. Most of us determine, our reality is determined by our physical senses. If I can see it, if I can hear it, if I can smell it, if I can taste it, it must be real. Now, Elijah's servant, when he went outside, his reality was, Look at all those horses and metal chariots. Elijah steps outside, and his reality is, whoa, look at the hills and the mountain. They're full of fiery chariots and horses. These people don't have a chance. What do you see in the morning when you get up? Turn the TV on, which is a terrible thing to do, especially when you haven't spent any time with the Lord. Because it's all negative. It's all about what the devil is doing. It's all about humanity ruling and reigning. Humanity is still trying to replace God. Trying to overthrow the whole idea, the concept of God. When we listen to that stuff, it has an effect on us. Whether we want to agree to that or not. I think whatever you take in, whatever you spend your time doing and listening, it is influencing you in some way. Some way is getting in somehow. The Apostle Paul knew how to see the unseen. He was suffering terrible one time, persecution, and and behalf of the gospel, but he said this, he says, this momentary light affliction wasn't the real thing. Now imagine that. Chained, beaten, shipwrecked, all this, and Paul, you're telling me this is not the real thing? He says, no. He's the real thing was the eternal glory <laughs> that awaited him in heaven. He says, when he got ready to get his head cut off, he says, I finished my course, he says, I'm ready. Do what you got to do. He said, but there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me and all those who will trust in Christ as I have done. That was reality. You can see, beloved, how we need spiritual insight. This natural sight that we got, we've got we to we supersede that. We got to go to the next level. We got to believe. We got to understand. The scripture says, I'm in the world, but not of the world. This is not who I am. 
I'm not of this world. Our struggle is against the unseen forces of darkness. That's what the Bible says. You're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You can see flesh, but flesh is not what you're wrestling with. That is not the issue. That is not your enemy. That is not what's causing you the problems. Sure, the enemy will use flesh, but the enemy that you face is unseen, visible to the natural eye. And God wants his children to be he said, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. Get in your place. Get, get, put on the whole armor. Get in communion. Get in relationship. Get your eyes open so you can see and understand spiritual things, spiritual realities. Time is short. Time is of, of essence, and time is short now. And we must bring it a little higher. We want for us to turn up the heat, if you will. Turn up the heat. It's time to make a difference. There was a global prayer digest. I was reading one of the articles, and it says that it told about a medical missionary to Africa. He was speaking at his home church, which is in Michigan. And he told about this story how he often went to travel by bicycle through the jungle to a nearby city. He did this to go get supplies. And so he got on a bicycle, and he would go. It was a two-day journey. And so halfway, he would camp overnight. But he said that when he went, he went to the city, he got to the bank, he withdrew the money, went and bought the supplies, the medicines, and so forth, and he was going back to the to his village through the jungle for those two days' journey. And when he did that, he ran across two men that were fighting, and one was wounded pretty badly. And so he stopped to give him aid, and he witnessed to him about Christ. And he went on to his journey. Time came when he was able to come back home, and he came back to the home in Michigan. He began to tell the story to the congregation there. And he said, when he told the story, he says, when he was there, a few days after that it happened, he said, a man came to him and says, we started to come. I knew that you carried money on you. The same man that he ministered to, he said, I knew that you carried money on you, and five other guys and myself decided we were going to come and we were going to rob you. Well, you knew you had a two-day journey back. He said, but when we were going back, we saw your campfire. We came up on your campfire, but we saw 26 guards around you. 26 guards around you. And so we decided to leave you alone. And so while he's telling his story at his home church, one of the brothers there says, Brother, can you tell me exactly what day that happened? He thought a little bit. He said, yes, I, I, I see what it happened. It happened this particular day. The brother said, okay, wow. He said, when you were in Africa, it's daytime. It's, it's nighttime. And when we're here in the United States, it's morning time. He said, that very morning that you were doing, that this happened, he said, I was on my way. I put my, my golf clubs into my car. I was going to go play golf. And I had such a strong conviction in my spirit to pray for you. And it got so strong that I knew I was supposed to call for help. So I called the other men of the church. And we began to pray for you earnestly and fervently that God would protect you. And then he stood up and he said, well, all the men that helped me pray, that here were that day that we prayed, will you stand up? And 26 men stood. That's the power of God. We're working through his body.
We don't have no problem with what's going on in the world. We just need a greater knowledge of our time, our purpose, where God is and what God is doing. But if we're feeding on what the world is doing, and it brings fear to me. I just feel like it makes the church weak. This one point too. Prayer makes possible what is humanly impossible. Prayer makes possible what is humanly impossible. Opening the servant's eyes to see the angels, closing and later reopening the soldier's eyes were humanly impossible feats. Impossible feats. Elijah's prayer was not for his servant to do what he already could do or to use some ability he already possessed. His prayer was for God to do something humanly impossible. Humanly impossible. What am I saying? Though it's a desire for God for you to see and understand, only God can deliver you from spiritual blindness. Only he. And see, we've all all tasted of it because spiritual blindness is what we were experiencing before we came to Christ. When I came to Christ, he opened my eyes, but I stopped. I I didn't keep pursuing it. I had to come back and later on kind of, you know, kick myself around and get this back together like, okay, you're not finished. This is just the beginning. Why is the Christians come to Christ and they just stop growing? They don't want to do anything after that. Oh, and I'm saved. I'm just going to wait for him to come back. I got something. I'm sure he got a plan for my life. Yes, he does, but not without your cooperation. It don't just happen. Spiritual maturity, spiritual growth does not just occur, beloved. It is, a, it is a pursuit of Christ on a daily basis. It is a hunger for the things that, that, the, that asking God to stir in me. Set my little, my little soul afire for you. Make this thing real to me. I want to know who you are. It's such a desire that each one of us can have if we so desire it. Each one of these people that we saw today was spiritually blind, but God gave insight. God gave the insight. There is a, uh, a writer, I want to leave this with you, we're going to pray. John McNeil, he translated uh, a writing called The Institute. And John Calvin writes in there, this is what he writes in there, he says, For in Christ, God offers all happiness in place of our misery. He offers all wealth in place of our neediness. To him, he opens to us, in him rather, he opens us the heavenly treasures that our whole faith may contemplate his beloved son, He offers that to all of us. He said, but after we have been instructed by faith to recognize that whatever we need and whatever we lack is in God and in our Lord Jesus Christ, so that we may draw from it as from an overflowing spring, it remains for us to seek him. To seek him in prayers, to ask of him. What we have learned to be in him. God wants us to come as his children and ask of him. He wants to teach us. He wants to encourage us. He wants to illuminate us and 
bring revelation and understanding to us. He wants to do that. He says, otherwise, to know God is the master and bestower of all good things who invites us to request them of him and still not go to him and not ask of him, this would be of an little profit as for a man to neglect a treasure, buried and hidden in the earth after it had been pointed out to him where it was and what was in it. That'd be foolish, wouldn't it? But that same attitude prevails in the body of Christ and keeps us from the altar, keeps us off our knees, keeps us from being broken and available to God. We have this great treasure called Jesus Christ, our Savior. We sing about it, we exalt it, we applaud it all the time. How many of you leave here today and not think about it anymore to next Sunday? How many of you would decide, I want, I want this thing burning in me so to such a degree that I'm, I'm ready to turn the TV off. I'm ready to do some fasting. I know nothing about fasting, God, but help me. I want to do some things. I want this thing to work for me. I said that because I know y'all, probably most of y'all don't know about a lot of fasting, but I do. But I wanted you to understand there's a path that God has called you to. He wants you to come and seek him. He wants you to come and seek him. In Christ, we have access to God as our all-sufficient treasure. And if we will learn to know God as Elijah did and to pray as Elijah did, we will not panic. You may see the opportunity to panic, but you will not panic. Nothing. When you read Romans 8, you talk about what shall separate us from the love of God. That's some deep, good stuff. That's some heavy stuff in there. But the Bible said it shouldn't cause us to panic if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And I close with this today. I just really encourage you to take the heart. God has ordained that you have spiritual eyes. He said in Matthews, have eyes but see not. That's quite an indictment against the people of God. Have ears but hear not. These things are necessary to be victorious. And I talked to a couple of people, this is victorious, is that I don't do no sin. I know that you sit at the house and just do nothing. What, what does he do? It's just a sin of omission. That's a sin. But God is raising up an army of believers who's going to have a heart to confront the enemy of this day. He is not going to let the church go off the scene passively. That's not going to happen. And I'm so excited. The thought of it thrills me. What it means, I have no idea. But God does. I know he does. Beloved, you're special to the kingdom of God. The book of Esther says, who is to say of such a time as this, God has brought you into the kingdom. He's brought you here. It's been him all the time. And I say to you today, be who God has ordained you to be. God, your ranks, stay together. I know it's a difficult time, 
But ask God to open my eyes. Let me see what I need to see right now, God. Because I feel like we're out here by ourselves. But I assure you the hills behind you are full of angels. Ready to do battle in your behalf if you would only believe. If you would give yourself to the moment of prayer, communion, loving one another, forgiving one another. Now, I didn't talk about the part where the prophet gave him instruction about he, when, the, when the, the general, the, the army of Israel says, should we kill them and wipe them out? He says, no. That was a compassion toward their enemies. Sometimes the way to respond in time of trials is to do the opposite. It's not always to take a defensive boat. Sometimes it means I need to just humble myself and say, God, I, I heard that prayer a while ago. It just blessed me. It says, God, just forgive us for our sins. The acknowledgement that none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. And our prayer should be to, to God because God hears prayers that, and answers prayers that cannot be humanly done. This is your hour. This is your hour. Will you stand with Pastor? Let me pray over you today. Please stand. As you stand, I pray that you would allow the Holy Spirit Take hold of your heart and your mind right now. Let him pour you out. Let him pour you out. Your anxiousness, your anxieties, your fears, your unforgiveness, your anger, your resentment, all the things that you experienced, the things that you are experiencing. Lord Jesus, cast all your cares upon me because I'm here and I'm caring for you. I'm here because I've coveted with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I want to give you eyes that see my hand in the midst of your life, your everyday living. Let me fix you that way. David said, Lord, created me a clean heart and renew the right spirit within me. Heavenly Father, Daddy, your presence is so great here today. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And you've answered prayer. What we're experiencing is someone else praying, someone else going into the heavenly realms and calling the things that be not as though they are. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. So today we experience the anointing of the prayer in your presence. We host you.
so thankful for the privilege and the opportunity. In your presence, Father, we know that there's no flesh agenda. So we ascend to that place in the heavenly realm where you said we've already been seated with Christ Jesus on the right hand of God the Father. We take our positional place as believers with eyes of understanding and hearts that are open and surrendered. Going farther, forward, Father, we don't have any idea. But I bring this ministry to you, this body of Christ, this Hoffman Town ministry to you. Father, I pray that your kingdom will come and your will be done in here and through the people that are here. You've already set them on the hill as a bright light. Now let them burn, Father. Burn for your glory and for the good of this community. Your will be done, Father. Your will be done. I pray for the leadership. I've heard their hearts. They want only what you want. Thank you, Father, for men and women whose hearts are surrendered to your will, who want to follow Jesus as the head of his church. I pray for unity and healing in the body. Healing is needed, Father. Heal in this congregation. Let every person come to know the experience of healing. Let your love abound here. Your anointing that is always evident to me when I come. Bless the people. Give them understanding hearts and minds, eyes that is open to perceive spiritual things. Give them a desire to have a constant prayer life, one where every day they start out. You said, I'm Alpha, I'm Omega. You're the beginning and you're the end. May that be their prayer life. They will start the day out with you and end the day with you. And in the middle, the Holy Spirit is in total control. Thank you for the awesome privilege of standing in before these so great a people. Father, let your will continue to be done in their lives. This is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.